0: Together in different ways. I know uh, Christmas uh, sometimes can be challenging as uh, well as a blessing, but it's great that we can just kind of look back and see God's goodness in in different ways, even in some of the tougher times, I guess. And uh, we we're just, uh, will just the people we be joining us, but we're going to be thinking uh, for a few uh, weeks—not uh, constantly, not starting now—but each Sunday for a few weeks, we're going to be looking into the book of Mark in the Bible, Mark's Gospel. And the whole kind of uh, title of the series is, well, is Jesus who you think he is? Sometimes, as we've seen with some of those uh, Old Testament stories, we think we know all about Jesus. We think we've heard it all before or seen it all before. But, you know, often it's good just to come back and take a, a careful look. And we're, we're thinking all behind it, uh, and we're beginning today with this question. And there's a lot of questions coming up. We're using Mark's Gospel in a way to address some of the questions that lots of people still have about Jesus. And today we're thinking in, in chapter one uh, about why should I look for Jesus? Mark, you know, was the first Gospel to be written, we think, almost certainly. It was put together by a man called Mark, or he's called John Mark in the Bible. Uh, this guy, Mark, was, uh, he had family back in Jerusalem, and he was around uh, some of the events of Jesus' life, but we're not quite sure how many of them. We're pretty sure, you remember in, in uh, I think it is actually in Mark's gospel, there's an account of someone in the Garden of Gethsemane kind of uh, being grabbed and running away and leaving his, his cloak behind. Uh, Scholars think that was probably John Mark who did that. So he was around. He probably had met Jesus. But we do know he was very close to Peter. And uh, he ended up helping Peter out uh, based in Rome. Uh, Peter was in Rome. And uh, he uh, was kind of around Peter, his teaching, his experience of Jesus. And uh, it's probably around the time that Peter... Uh, pressure is building on the church from the government and Peter uh, is imprisoned and loses his life, is martyred. And around that time, perhaps slightly ahead of it, ahead of Peter's death anyway, Mark, who knew Peter well, is with him in Rome and he takes all that he's heard about from Jesus' teaching as well as his own experience and gets it into this account which we have as Mark's gospel. And let's turn up the first page, shall we? Uh, If you haven't already, it's on page uh, 1002 in the church Bible nearby. So just grab one and then you can, can see it. Mark's gospel. It's good news. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Good news is that word, evangel. And it's good news, he said, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. But he says, this is good news, and it is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And there's never been a book like this before. It's not a biography as such. It's not a collecting kind of bunch of Jesus' teaching and sayings. It's something completely new. That's why Mark uses this word, gospel, to describe it. He didn't have a category. He couldn't say, this is the beginning of the biography of Jesus. He doesn't say, this is the beginning of the story of Jesus. He doesn't say, this is the beginning of the documentary of Jesus' life. You know, see more on Discovery Channel, you know, such and such a time. He said, this is the beginning of the gospel. It's a new word. Never been used before in literature, as far as we know. Because it's a message, that's the point. It's a message. And it's a message that has already been shared with people. It's transformed people, or rather the Jesus that this message is about has transformed people's lives. And Mark wants to kind of capture it and write it down so that the church has got a a record of it all. So it's not just kind of word to mouth to ears, but there's something in, in the mid 60s AD this is, not that long after Jesus' death and resurrection. There's something there written down. And what's written down, as I say, is good news. And Mark captures it, trying to key what he's heard to, uh, to all the different things he knew and uh, different episodes, things Jesus did, that, who Jesus was, what Jesus has to say. And he puts it all into this book and he calls it Good news, evangel. That's what they had called this message when they spoke it. When they went out onto the streets of Jerusalem, all across the, the Roman world at the time, all the way to Rome, when Christians went and told people about Jesus, they said, we've got, we, we've got evangel, we've got good news, we want you to know. And that's why Mark kind of says, this is it, this is the, kind of, this is the good news, this is the evangel now. Evangel meant something. That word meant something in the Roman world. Do you know the word first appeared? A little bit of history, if you know your Shakespeare as well, but we won't go through all of that. Remember, Rome comes into being through a revolution. It's it's described in in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, the beginning of it, and Antony and Cleopatra pick up the story. It's from around that time. The Roman Empire began at the end of the Civil War, when Octavia or Augustus became emperor. And after a period of war and rage and everything, something big happened, and everything was going to be different in the Roman Empire from then on. And when it happened, people went out with evangel. Because they were saying, it's good news, we've got an emperor, the war is over, everything's going to be different from now on. Can you see why the Christians, when they spoke about what Jesus has done, kind of used a similar word? Something has happened, and as a result of that, everything now is completely different. And that word evangel was used um, at later times to celebrate, because Augustus was the first uh, Roman emperor, and he was so important. That's why we, we have, if you have... A, birthday in august you're named after augustus don't know whether you realize that the first emperor uh uh, uh, that your birthday is kind of in memory of him how about that perhaps you knew that perhaps you didn't know that see uh and and throughout when there were festivals related to augustus and sometimes when there were other kind of imperial events these messengers that would again go out and the word evangel would be used for them sharing the news of the festival or whatever. And that's uh, what this word is about. So what's all that got to do with us then? Mark is telling us this good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the one God has promised, the Son of God. What's that to do with us? Well, it's all about Jesus... But why do we need Jesus? We've seen from our series in Genesis that we can know the creator God. He reaches out to people there. We saw in Exodus that he becomes, or he reveals himself as the God who gets to know Israel. And actually was very open to Egyptians coming to know him and other nations too. Why do we need more? That would have been a really big question in Mark's time. Because the Jews had Yahweh, the Jews had their God. They'd had a whole history with their God. Uh, Romans and Greeks, they weren't short of gods to believe in. So why Jesus? Why Jesus? That's a question in our time too, isn't it? Maybe some of our friends, maybe you wonder yourself. Why can't I just believe in God as creator and kind of make my own way to him? Why can't I just opt into Israel's religion? All the world's religions offer this one way or another. A way to find God the creator. Or a way to find the oneness that we want with the universe or whatever you're going to call it. They offer it through great men and women and prophets and wise teachers and ancient stories. Can't we find our own way? if we're not into any of those religions why can't we just follow our own spiritual quests like most of the people in our culture at the moment might do whether it's leaving flowers at a grave or watching out for strange things happening or you know unusual coincidences well i can follow those things can't i why can't i just find my own way why can't i just be spiritual why do you have to keep going on about jesus maybe that's a question some of our friends will have what have Christians got that's any better? How different is it, and how does it matter to us as Christians? Can I tell you a story? True story. Oh, you need to go back, some of you, into ancient history now—not as long as Augustus, but for some it might seem almost that long. I'm talking about 1968. Okay. It's—you uh, need to take yourself to a secondary school and uh, I'm there it's I'm in my second year at secondary school and uh, I'm in a biology lesson uh, not that kind of lesson don't worry though. it's not going to be embarrassing and in that le- in that lesson I want you to meet uh, my biology teacher Mr. Headley Mr. Headley was um he was a great teacher actually he was one of these teacher that was Enthusiastic and passionate. You know, he used to shout a lot, but not in aggression, but more in excitement about his subject, sometimes in, uh, you know, calling us to order or whatever. He, was a, he had a big voice. He had kind of Finnish hair. He had, I remember, really kind of intense grey eyes and, and a kind of a, a pre-hipster cut type beard, you know, long before hips was, were a thing, you know, kind of beard, which went a bit oddly with his slightly bald head. But anyway... And he's asking us in the class, we're doing biology, he's asking us about birds, the characteristic of birds. And someone says, they've got feathers, and someone says, you know, they lay eggs, and someone says, maybe some really smart kid says, they've got honeycomb bones, so they're really light. And we go, well, whatever. And, and he keeps saying, more, anyway, okay, what else, what else? Anyway, you know, because he's very, amusing. And I think, I think of something, and I've, I've got one that I'm really confident about. I put my hand up, and I say... They've got weak hearts, I say, with some authority. Now, Mr. Headley is not that impressed by that answer. He says, really? Well, how do they fly successfully for thousands of miles, barely stopping if they've got weak hearts? I think, oh, that was a bit embarrassing. I was so sure. I was so confident. I thought it was going to be a great killer of an answer. Because I've been told that by someone I trusted. Someone I trusted in some ways, this is gonna sound terrible, more than anyone else. My own mother had told me that. Now before you, before you kind of, next time my mum, who does sometimes come, kind of want to pounce on her and tell her off for that, um, <laughs> let me tell you the backstory. See, three or four or five years earlier, uh, we three kids, I was the oldest, were in a state of some distress and shock because our cat had a blackbird in the garden and was kind of you know, giving it a very hard time. And it's very sad to see. And we were saying, let's go and rescue the bird. But I think the bird had probably had it by then anyway, uh, if its wing was broken or whatever. And my mum, I guess, with the best of intentions, told what she would say was a little white lie, which uh, I don't think personally there's any such thing. But anyway, uh, and that gives you interest about Father Christmas. We won't go down there, but that's another story. Anyway, so, so she had said, don't worry, kids, it'll be all right. The bird won't suffer much because birds have got weak hearts. He'll have a heart attack in a minute, and it'll all be over. <laughs> and that, so we were that satisfied. We were distressed. We were, had been distressed. Oh, well... Okay, well, let's leave it to the heart to take its condition. And armed in that knowledge, I've got my hand up four years later saying, birds have got weak hearts. It's absolutely true. I was confident in that information until I shared it with Mr. Headley in Class 2A in 1968. Now, do we sometimes worry that it might turn out that way with what we believe about Jesus? You know, we're confident, but are we confident just because it works for us? Well, Mark's gospel, we pray, I trust, will help us to grow in our confidence. Because Mark says, no, this is Jesus. He shows how we can be confident in what we know. We can be confident in what we share. We can be confident in our experience of him, Confident even to suffer, because Mark is writing his book. The readers in the church, his fellowship in Rome, who will first hear it read to them, are about to face Nero's persecution. It's all beginning to kick off, in all likelihood, as Mark writes it up. In AD 64, there's a fire in Rome, destroys a lot of it. Uh, Everyone really knows that Nero started it. Nero, in order to divert attention, starts rounding up Christians because nobody really cared much about them and started um, killing them, using them as human torches in his barbecue garden and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Tacitus, no, I think Pliny actually records it. You can check it out. It's Bad, really. So let's see what Mark has got to say. Now, grit are helping us today, uh, but one of the grit leaders, he's not a teenager, uh, Chris is going to <laughs> read, a, read to us uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. Thanks, Chris.
1: The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written, John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him.
0: So as Mark begins then, we hear in this first passage three voices. Three voices that give us three reasons for looking at Jesus, for beginning to answer this question, why Jesus? Three reasons why we can be confident about him. Confident whether we're living for him, whether we're looking for him and you're not there yet. Whether we're sharing him with others or you even maybe facing suffering for him. And in some ways, these first 14 verses are a bit like a trailer you know, of a, of a film. It's kind of giving you a, a kind of highlight or a, a, a big sweep of what's to come. And the first voice we hear is what? It's the voice of Scripture, isn't it? Right away, Mark is quoting uh, from the Old Testament. And uh, he has something to say. He tells us that this good news of Jesus is about God doing something really big. You see, the good news that Mark is sharing is connected to all that God has already done. You see, there's a big program, there's a big story, and Jesus is bringing that story, bringing that kind of program of God that begins with creation, actually, and will go on right till the end. He, he's kind of part of bringing that all to completion. So that knowing God through Jesus, Mark is saying, by, by quoting this, and we'll see kind of how he quotes it in a minute, by saying this is connected to what God did in the past and what God promised in the past, uh, Mark is saying in that way that Jesus is not an alternative To respecting God as creator. Knowing God through Jesus is is not an alternative to being part of Israel's religion. No, Jesus' arrival is all about God completing the program. This is something really important, unique, and kind of tracks right into the history of everything. And that's what verses 2 and 3 are all about. As you can see from the footnotes, they're quoting the Old Testament. Because God had promised in the last prophet in the Old Testament 400 years earlier, through Malachi, God had promised that he would come and get involved in the world. He would send someone. He was coming himself. Isaiah looks forward in, in the quotation from Isaiah 40 there. To a time when God will not just bring his people of Israel back to their land as Isaiah was was promising after the exile. But when this kind of, the, the, the mini salvation they experienced then would be kind of expanded out to something huge that God would do for everyone in the world who wants to know him. He's going to bless the world through the one who would come in a new way. And this tells us that Jesus matters because Jesus is not some new pathway or, or some new teaching of the way to find God. But that God is coming in Jesus to fulfill his promises. And Isaiah sees that in chapter 40, if you want to look at it, not necessarily now. Um, but as you look into Isaiah 40, it says God is going to come. God is going to bring his people into the right place with him. And someone is going to come ahead of that figure to get people ready. And that someone is John the Baptist. That's why Mark is quoting Isaiah saying, you know, God promised that he would send someone ahead of the Lord coming. Well, verse four, so John the Baptist is there in the wilderness. And Isaiah had said, there'd be a way being prepared in the wilderness. And Mark sees, oh yeah, John's in the wilderness. That's what Isaiah said. And he kind of brings that connection together. So the good news of Jesus completes this this one big story. The God who created everything. The God who revealed himself to people as we saw in Genesis and Exodus. The God who works to bring people back into relationship with him. Has done something huge to change everything. And if that's true, then it's really big. And there's nothing else like it. No other religion actually claims that. That's why we should at least look into Jesus seriously. Why we can be confident. If this is true, then this is so big. It has to be for everyone. And if we're struggling to find evidence and reasons, there is evidence. There will be evidence. You can find evidence. And we can be really confident to look into it, to start with that. To live for Jesus, to share Jesus, to love Jesus, to suffer for Jesus. God's done something big. And there's another reason why Jesus is so important. Why Jesus? Secondly, because he meets our greatest need, our real and deepest need. Now, the voice, the second voice we hear, is the voice of John the Baptist who is described as a voice, and so as a voice, let's listen to what he has to say. He offers people a way at the time to be clean from sin. He's outside Jerusalem, and uh, Jerusalem at the time was somewhat preoccupied with how do you be clean ritually. The Jewish law had a lot of regulations in it and things like, you know, you mustn't touch a dead animal and you have to do this and you have to do that (coughs) and you have to make sacrifices And people wanted to be in the right place with God. They wanted to be clean of the stuff that they knew was causing them problems. And they had been taught that they had to do this through these different rituals and washings. And, you know, just as when Muslims go to pray, they they wash before they do so their feet and their hands. So the Jewish people, they had this thing. We need to be clean before God. We need to do this with these rituals to do so. And that was fine if you lived in upper Jerusalem. But if you lived in the other part of Jerusalem, it was a huge problem. Because the place was absolutely filthy. There were dead bodies and all kinds of things all over the place. Keeping clean was pretty impossible unless you bought into the temple system of sacrifice and cleansing, which was owned by some big-shot high priests uh, and who were ripping people off big time. So if you were poor, you couldn't get clean, basically. You're in a problem, had a problem. That's why Jesus goes into the temple later and drives them all out. That's what all that's about. So if you're a poor person in Jerusalem, how do you get clean? And you hear somebody in the wilderness is saying, here's a way you can be clean from sin. You can be forgiven. You can be washed. You can turn away from your sin. And if you're baptized with by, by me in the river Jordan, John is saying, as you get your heart ready for God to come into your lives, just get washed in the river and you can be free. No wonder everyone from Jerusalem, all the crowds, went to find him. For one thing, it was free. (laughs) For another, they didn't have to go through this temple system. For another thing, it actually met something more that they needed. And it began with their heart of turning to God again from wrong. And John offers this way to be clean, to repent from sin, he says, to turn from it, to respond to God by being baptized, by being washed, being forgiven. It was very popular. We can see why. But John's got another message. Did you see that down there? Not only does he say, come and be baptized for your forgiveness of sins, but I want you to know about someone else who's coming. He's saying, my washing is limited. But there's someone coming who will clean you on the inside. See that? After me comes the one more powerful, verse 7, than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Someone who's coming, he says, will, will make you clean on the inside. He will bring a cleaning from God for you. And anyone who knew their Old Testament would have remembered Ezekiel's prophecy. Listen to this in Ezekiel 36. God says, speaking of the time when, when he will intervene and, and, and enable people to know him, and he says to his people, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That was what God had promised. That there would be a way to be clean which would come from him. That his Holy Spirit would enable people to be clean on the inside. And John tells them that someone is coming and you need him. And what he offers you much more than you need my baptism in the River Jordan. Now, I don't know whether you agree with this, but isn't that one of our biggest problems as human beings? if we're really honest you don't have to be very old before you realise that there's something kind of a bit wrong the wrong stuff we've done the things we think about the ways we're drawn and you know the problem is it's on the inside isn't it it's not just about actions it's about like thoughts and the way our desires take us Jesus comes with something utterly unique in world religions, a cleaning on the inside, a washing and a renewing from God, a transformation from God, the one we've kind of upset or sinned against in the first place. I don't think you can get this anywhere else. Now Mark is going to, in his gospel, tell us a lot more about sin, a lot more about evil and death and how Jesus brings forgiveness and triumphs over good, with goodness and life. But what's why we keep looking at Jesus? Why we can be confident in Jesus? Why we can be confident to live with him, to share him, to love him, to worship him, and even to suffer for him? Because he deals with our greatest issue, sin. And I'll leave, you know, you don't need me to, you can reflect on that individually. As Jesus once said, anyone without sin can cast the first stone. And they all walked away, because he was the only one without sin, and he wasn't going to stone the woman caught in adultery on that occasion. And the third voice we hear in this passage points to why Jesus is really worth looking at, and that's God's voice from heaven and that points us to who jesus is why jesus because of his identity and again there's a lot in mark's gospel about who jesus is what we make of who he is and how our response to that affects our lives and as before the trailer this bit gives us a preview you see jesus comes for baptism he doesn't come because he needs forgiveness but he comes to kind of stand in line in the queue with everyone else all the other miserable sinners or happy sinners or whatever kind of sinners they were he stands in the queue waiting to be baptized there he is standing there why is he doing that he doesn't need to do that and in the other gospels, tell us that John the Baptist has a kind of conversation with him about that, asking that question. But Mark, no, we're rushing on. Mark's got more important things he feels to say about this. But you know, Jesus is going to spend a lot of time with sinners in Mark's gospel, isn't he? He tells us in Mark's gospel later that he is going to pay for their forgiveness. He says, I came to give my life a ransom in Mark's gospel. So he starts right at the beginning, standing in a queue of sinners waiting to be baptized. I've got time for another story, not about me, but I read a story once about, from a writer called John White, uh, who wrote a lot in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He, he was a medic, became a psychiatrist. He told the story of how when he was a medical student, it's a medical student story for you. He had to, you know, on medical students, I don't know if there's any here, you have to do kind of practice bits, don't you, rotating to different placements. And he happened to be on a placement uh, in a sexually transmitted disease clinic. And uh, he had to do his placement there, and he was uh, on duty, and he was a bit late. To gum because he was a junior uh, you know student doctor he was a bit late to arrive and when he came he there was a big queue of people all waiting outside to go and see the doctor for their you know treatment diagnosis and whatever these are in the kind of the dark old days when there was a lot of stigma attached to this more than there is today and um so he's there and he says he goes to the front of the queue he says to the guy who's kind of policing the queue he said look he said i i need to get in quick he said i'm a medical student and the guy in the door says, I don't care who you are, you got it the same way as everyone else, stand in the queue like them. <laughs> and uh, John White says, do you know, I, at a moment I suddenly thought, that, is that how Jesus felt as he stood in the queue to be baptised? He identifies. You know, Jesus is going to be all about standing in our place, isn't he? And as he comes out of the water, heaven is torn open. That same word will be used actually in Mark's gospel when the the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom. But this is God speaking as heaven is torn. And God says, you are my son. He quotes Psalm 2, which is about God's future king uh, ruling the nations. You can check it out in Psalm 2. He is also quoting actually Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. It says this, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. That's the idea of I love him, I've chosen, he's my son. But there it's of the Spirit. I will put my spirit on him, says Isaiah 42. God speaks his own word. And we glimpse the community of, the, of God. As God the Father speaks and delights in his Son, Jesus Jesus who's standing there pleasing the Father in every way, and the Holy Spirit who just kind of falls out of heaven onto Jesus and fills him for his life. Don't let anybody tell you that, that um, you know, there's God the Father, and when Jesus becomes Jesus, then God becomes Jesus, and then after that, when Jesus goes back to the heaven, goes back to heaven, uh, the Holy Spirit comes. Here are Father, Son and Spirit interacting together on the same occasion. That other view is completely wrong. You may have heard it. It's a little bit popular in some circles. This is God, the community of God, delighting in what's going on. And this is what Mark is going to show us in his gospel. He's going to take us on this whirlwind tour Of this Jesus in action, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as the one who pleases God, who is uniquely placed as in relation to God as Son. And there'll be evidence to support this all through Mark's gospel until Jesus dies and a Roman soldier who sees it says, surely this was the Son of God. And then, of course, it's written massive through the resurrection as Jesus bursts out of the prison of death. But what kind... Of spirit anointed, father delighting son, is Jesus going to be? As the voice from heaven hinted by the quotation from Isaiah, he will be the servant. The promised one, who as Jesus himself said, has come mainly to serve. Mark will remind us of that later. So what happens next? The Spirit takes Jesus into the desert. And for 40 days, he battles Satan, surrounded by wild animals. Sounds tough. So tough that he needs angels to help him. Don't think that a life in, uh, you know, empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit is going to give you an easy time, will you? Didn't for Jesus. It won't for us. But remember who might have heard this read to them first. Christians in Rome, in the Nero era, some of their friends were going to be facing wild animals in the arena. They were about to endure or may have been enduring an onslaught of appalling evil. And Mark shows us as Jesus as God's servant out there with the wild animals. That's why some people think... That's a little thing from Mark to the people in Rome. Jesus was in the desert with wild animals. Mark shows Jesus as God's servant. The son who will suffer for us and with us. And that's another reason why we need to look at him. It's another reason why we can be confident. So as we go into the year then, let's pray for growing confidence. Oh, sorry, I've gone too far. Can we bring that back it. can we go back one please William thank I pressed it twice as we go into this new year then let's pray for going growing confidence in knowing Jesus in worshipping Jesus in living with Jesus in sharing Jesus with others and even suffering with Jesus because he's unique completing God's action plan Meeting our needs, the Son and Servant, God in our world and by the Spirit in our lives. And if you don't know him yet, well, why not ask him to make himself known to you? Now, why not turn from living your way and give your life to Jesus? Talk to someone, pray about that. Someone can pray with you if you, if you want, or you can just pray that yourself and start the journey or join up for Alpha, the details on the face-to-face. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we may be, this week, just aware that the Jesus in our lives is the one who is, is working, who has completed a huge kind of plan that you, the living God, have started and are finishing Thank you, Lord, that he is the one who deals with sin. We pray, Lord, that as we in, in, in our lives may struggle with sin. Thank you for the washing that we know. Thank you that the old stuff has gone and, and, and there's not such a foothold in our lives. But sometimes we fall and we know how tempted we can be. Lord, help us, we pray this week, to know Jesus as the one who baptizes, who fills, who cleans us with the Holy Spirit day by day. Lord, we thank you that he, the Son, has come and by the Spirit lives in our lives and enables us as his people to serve in our world. May we reflect the servant in our lives this week. Give us that confidence to live, to worship, to share, to love, and even to suffer with and for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, dear Father, in his name. Amen.